right, Docs. Let's face it. Time to get real. You tune into Docs Outside the Box because you want to know how to take control of your career, right? Well, look, my new sponsor, Provider Solutions and Development, they have a team of experts ready to guide Docs just like you through today's job landscape. Now, whether you are looking to dive deeper into your specialty or you want to find a healthier work-life balance, they can help find the right fit for you. So I want you right now to start the conversation with a PSND career coach at psdrecruit.org forward slash docs outside the box. This episode is brought to you by Set for Life Insurance. Listen, docs, one of the first steps we took to pay off our student loan debt was realizing we paid way too much for our disability insurance. That all changed when we found Set for Life Insurance. They helped us with a customized insurance policy that met our needs and most of all, budget. To learn more, check out setforlifeinsurance.com. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Nee. So listen, you know, we are focusing on the three M's, which is money, mission, as well as mindset. But, you know, the true basics, the true foundation of this show was really started on personal finance, me trying to share my journey of wanting to be a doc outside the box, but also at the same time trying to get out of student loan debt and understanding the basics of investing. So that's what we're going to focus on this episode. We're going to talk about the ABCs of investing and how quickly by the end of this show, you should be able to open up your own brokerage account and feel confident to start investing. I remember those days where I would be that person where there's so much information, I wouldn't take action at all. And that's so unfortunate. In today's world, I know that things can be volatile, but there are really a lot of methods, true and easy methods that you can take to make sure that you can at least buffer yourself as much as possible from the volatility in the world. Things that definitely will prevent you or scare you from putting money into the stock market. And on this episode, I'm being joined by Dr. Jordan Frey, who is a relative newcomer into the doctor personal finance world. The name of his blog is called The Prudent Plastic Surgeon. He just finished training, has over $400,000 in student loan debt. He's sharing that on his blog, letting people know about his net worth, how he's getting into investing, how he's getting into real estate. It's a really good blog. I definitely think that it's one that you know it helps you remember what the basics of investing are, the basics of why we get into medicine and what it's like, you know, to really have this whole world, you know, that you've been basically ignoring, which is money. And now you have to start making big boy and big girl decisions. So without further ado, this is going to be a good one. Make sure you share this with other people. I present Dr. Jordan Frey, also known as the prudent plastic surgeon. Let's get it. Dr. Jordan Frey from the prudent plastic surgeon. What's good, man? How you doing? How's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, why the hell do we need to listen to a plastic surgeon talk about personal finance? Keep it real with us, man. Come on. There's a lot of reasons. The same reason people would be like, why do I need to listen to a doctor about finance? It's like way worse with plastic surgeons. Because I always say like, okay, if people like doctors, why are they so bad at finance? Why are doctors making like the top 1% income? Why are they living paycheck to paycheck? Because people are like, oh, well, they got the doctor car. You got to get the doctor house, you got to yeah, like, get the do doctor wife stuff. or the doctor yeah, husband. Exactly. You need to do all that stuff. <laughs> think of a rheumatologist. If you think a rheumatologist is doing that, picture in your head like a rheumatologist or something. And now picture a plastic surgeon. You definitely think the plastic surgeon is like 
living large or if they're like successful that they have like, you know, whatever, one of those big face watches and is driving like a luxury car and lives in some huge house. And like, we all succumb to that. It's like real estate, right? Like you can't be driving around in a real estate agent who's driving like a Chevy Nova. Like they got to have a nice car so that they could drive around their clients. The same thing with you. There's like a sense of what's the word I'm looking for? There's a sense of like air. There's a sense of success, I guess, that is manifested in these suits and so forth that I guess you got to have to express. And that's a lot to live up to, bro. Yeah. And like, I felt that in residency. So I did my residency in New York City at NYU. And we would laugh at ourselves, but we would have these conferences at 6.30 every Wednesday morning. And for some reason, it was the culture there. Like you had to just get dressed up in a suit and it couldn't just be any suit. It had to be like super nice and everyone was competing over the best suits. And like, I mean, I was like, you know, half a million dollars in debt and living in this tiny apartment with my two kids and my wife. And I couldn't afford like a super nice suit. And I'm trying to like keep up and like try to make my suit that I bought at Uniqlo like look nicer than it is or something like that. And buy buy in a pocket square. Yo, first of all, what's up with Uniqlo? Yo, like I tried it and I can't, like it's not even, it's like, I don't know how to explain. It's like almost like a raincoat. Like, it's not even like, it's just like polyester to the extreme, man. It is, it is. But I loved Uniqlo when I was in New York City because they had a store there. I would always go there because it's kind of like cheaper stuff and it's like sort of pseudo nice. But yeah, I don't know. I always had that perception. Like, honestly, I'm the type of person, like, I don't really, you know, what I want to present myself nicely, but I don't care about the brand of my suit or like, you know, getting further down the line. So it was sort of at the end of my training and I was sort of realizing these things were bubbling up that I was feeling like, oh man, I feel like I need to keep up with this image that I don't even identify with. And I also, at the same time, was realizing like my finances are just like a dumpster fire. You know, like I have no idea. I've just stuck my head in the sand financially for seven years. And people have been telling me like, oh, it's all just going to work out when you're in attending. And now I'm about to be in attending and like nothing seems like it's just going to work out. And I got to take control of this. So that's eventually what I did. But one of the like stark changes that I always tell people is like, I don't care about cars. Like I'm just not a car person. As long as I have a car that's going to get me from point A to point B, like I don't care about its horsepower or like zero to 60 or anything like that. But before I sort of had this change in mindset, like I was prepared, I'd budgeted out like in my attending salary, like, you know, $600 a month lease for like a car, like a nice car. And I was like, what am I doing? I just don't care about that. And what did I end up doing? I ended up just buying for $2,000 a 2011 Toyota Avalon. Fine car. You lying. You lying. No. As an attendant, you bought yourself a 2011 Avalon. Yeah, I got a plastic it. plastic surgeon. I just got it inspected today. Wow. Past okay. inspection. So you park your car in the back of your practice. <laughs> I park in the lot. No one knows the difference. I park right next to my colleagues with the BMWs and stuff. But to me, it makes me happy because I'm like, you know what? Every month, that $600 is just going to like pay off my debt to invest, to buy real estate. And like, it makes me happy driving that car, knowing that I'm not spending a lot of money on something that it wouldn't bring me that commensurate amount of joy. So, well, listen, I believe you. I mean, as a plastic surgeon, there's absolutely no reason why you need to be writing a blog unless you really felt like you needed to write a blog. That's why I believe you. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. You know, that's why I believe you. But real talk for real, for real, real talk. Even when me and my wife were going through our debt-free journey, I think to other physicians, they understood. But, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm trying to talk to someone who is making, you know, a 10th or 20% of what we're making, they're not trying to hear all that from us. 
Yeah. Until I tell them that, listen, actually the lessons that I learned or that we learned from paying off debt didn't even come from other physicians. It came from watching, you know, other podcasters and other bloggers who were, I guess, more at the median income and kind of had their awakening and did their thing. And we took those behaviors. And then all of a sudden at the same time, then we started discovering, you know, all of these other physician personal finance bloggers and then jumped in on that. But no, for real, I believe you because, you know, you obviously are pretty passionate about it. Now, when did you go ahead and start this blog? This started in June of 2020. And so oh, you read into this, man. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like in, I think it was in April, tough to pinpoint exactly when, but that's kind of when my wife were, and I were like, all right, we need to get this under control. We started reading. We started like, we came up with our own written financial plan. We created a budget. We really kind of got stuff in control. And that's also when I realized like my like overall well-being got a lot better because I had just been so stressed about this financial stuff that that was causing me to like just totally avoid it. And I was scared mm. to look at my mistakes. I've heard that before. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I finally looked at my mistakes and I finally was like, okay, now that I know how bad it is, like I can stop digging and I can figure out a plan out. And just that, just having a plan made me feel like so much better, so much more overall relaxed, so much more able to like focus on other things like my family and like being a doctor. I felt like it made me a better doctor. And that's when I started talking. Other people sort of realized I was getting interested in this, like colleagues and asking me questions. And there's so many people in the same boat, but they're kind of scared to almost admit it or face it. I was like, well, I know I'm in like way worse position than most of these people. Like I said, like had like half a million dollars in debt, seven years, just deferred every single loan. I paid for my college medical school, every cent, except for some like little scholarships, every cent of it was borrowed money. And so I was like, if I can do it, and if I can find a way out, then anyone can. I'll just try to be as transparent and genuine as I can showing like, hey, look, I'm right in the dirt with you. You know, like I'm figuring this out with you. It started like that. It's been a lot of fun and really cool. So what's the most interesting thing you've learned now that you're pretty much what we're talking about six months in almost into blogging and stuff? What do you think about the community? It's really good. I mean, it's fun to like, you know, be reading about all these people and then interact with them and stuff like that. It's more like competitive than I thought, I guess. <laughs> I'm allowed to say that. It's kind of Come funny. On, this is docs outside the box. You free yeah. to talk any way you want to talk. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, it is kind of funny because I'm kind of just like going in. And for me, it's really just like a lot of fun and it's passion projects. And I wouldn't do it if I didn't have fun because I don't necessarily like quote unquote need to, but it's just like, I love it. But you know, you're kind of getting in the sandbox. And so Obviously, you're sort of thrown into interactions with a lot of different people, but it's been good. What was your upbringing? How was your upbringing with money, with medicine? How did that interplay into where you are right now? Or did it have a role? Yeah, it definitely played a role. I grew up like middle class, upper middle class. And my parents got divorced when I was like, maybe I want to say like 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that range. But it kind of went from like that financially, we were very like stable. So then all of a sudden it felt very unstable. And it was sort of that like each of the parents was trying to maintain the sort of experience that we had as kids, probably unnecessarily putting that pressure on themselves. And I, as the oldest, kind of felt that a lot. And I also saw because of that, they sort of, much as I love them, been super supportive. They didn't have great financial habits or money habits. Like I said, you know, 
we lived in a super big house. But when it came time to pay for college, there was nothing saved up. So I took out loans to go to private school, which I knew. And I just said, I'll deal with this at a certain point. And then essentially like stuck my head in the sand until that certain point came about a few months ago. Yeah. I think a lot of students end up doing that. Yeah. You know, maybe not a similar like upbringing, but like the notion of let me focus on medicine or, you know, in college, let me focus on trying to get into medical school. Then you get into medicine and you're just like, I don't have time. I'm about to drown. You want me to learn about something new, like, you know, money? Yeah, I know exactly what you're doing about putting your head in the sand. And then all of a sudden, you got to start making big boy, big girl decisions. Yeah. And that's why I try to tell people, like, I don't regret for a second that like in medical school and residency that like my main focus was on like studying and becoming the best like plastic surgeon I could. That's where the focus should be. But at the same time, like I'm not saying become like obsessed with finance or something like that or have money be the only thing you're thinking about. But, you know, read a book and just develop some of these basic habits that are really going to pay off long term and are going to allow you to like practice on your own terms and to have the job that you want because you can make it into your ideal job rather than just feeling like you have to fit, you know, a round peg into a square hole or whatever to make ends meet. If you had an opportunity to talk to people and let them know, you know, okay, these are the books that kind of changed my life. What kind of books or what are, you know, I don't know, top two or one or three, what books out there would you recommend for the listeners right now to take a read? Yeah. The best one to get started, I think the White Coat Investor is oh, yeah. first book. Yeah. That's that one. It's good. I bought it and it sat on my shelf for a whole year. And then finally, the person that really started all this was my wife. She read it and she was like, all right, you have to read this book and then we're reading more. That one's an awesome one. And then the second one I read was The Millionaire Next Door, which is like a classic one, but that's a good one. That book right there definitely blew my mind because, you know, where I grew up, I just thought that millionaires were just, you know, a lot of them were born into millionaires. These were trust funds type kids and all these different, I had no clue that, you know, these are people, like he said, driving Fords and wearing blue yeah. jeans and small business owners who just happened to be really diligent. And that book really changed my mind and made it feel like, man, this is really attainable. Even as yeah. a physician, I felt like, man, would I ever get to that point? Seriously. Like I really yeah. thought so. that was a phenomenal book. Oh, I had the exact same thought process. That's what I said. Cause I would have people tell me like, oh, you're a plastic surgeon. You're going to be like, you know, just fine and all this stuff. And I was like, man, I feel a lot of pressure to not just sort of live up to that standard that other people have, but just to like get out of debt, let alone trying to be the millionaire next door or something like that. But yeah, that book was awesome. And like the best quote is when there's the one guy who says there's two kinds of beer he drinks, blood and free. Right, right, right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So people don't know when we're recording this, but we're recording this a little bit after National Botox Day. Be honest, Dr. Frey. <laughs> Did you give yourself Botox? Come on now, be real. No, honestly, I've never given myself Botox. And my <laughs> wife, it like... But I've been looking on Instagram. Everybody's giving themselves Botox on this I day. Know, I'm like, what? I know. No, I haven't. I'm an all natural, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're 32 right now. You're young, man. Give it a couple yeah, more years. Yeah. You'll be like, let me get that. <laughs> so look, you know, let's get to the nitty gritty because you know your stuff from a personal finance yeah. standpoint. A lot of yeah. people who are listening to this show, they're your age. They've done the same thing you've done. I've been there where people are telling you, you need to invest your money. You need to save your money. Let's focus on investing, right? Let's talk about investing. You have a really good, simple post on how to start getting invested because I think a lot of people are like, yo, I want to get started investing, but I don't know how to pick individual stocks. I don't know anything. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to put it in my savings account. 
God forbid they put it underneath their bed. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. teach us how you invest. Tell us the basics of investing and tell us what you choose and we'll go from there. And obviously give us your preface of you're not a lawyer, you're not a personal advisor, all those different things so that I don't get sued and you don't get sued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like with everything. And I've always gravitated towards whether it's plastic surgery or whatever, like there's people who complicate things and then there's people who simplify things. And I always tried to, you know, surround myself with people who just simplify things down to the basic principles so you can really like take action and make a difference. So with investing, I think it's no different. And I mean, I'll start out at the very basic because this is where I was, where I didn't even know. So like, you know, when you invest, you're buying stocks and stocks is just a part ownership of a company. And so if you buy a stock and that company does well, you make money. And if they do poorly, you lose money. That's what a lot of people think when they think of traditional stock investing is like, oh, I'm going to buy a bunch of Apple and see how they do. And if you buy in an individual company, you're basically saying like, I trust this company and I think that they are awesome and they're only going to do great things. And so their value is going to go up and up and up and whatever. And if you guess right, which is like guessing a horse race, basically, then you can make a lot of money. But if you guess wrong, like Enron, then you lose all your money. Damn. Yeah. And it's just been shown out without getting into the boring like stats and stuff. It's just been shown people aren't able to pick stocks. Like people aren't able to do that on a consistent basis. Then like, what are you going to do? Then you just think, well, I'm not going to invest because I'm not like going to gamble. Especially because and then you have a lot of people who still remember 2008 and 2009. It's like, well, why am I going to put my money in here if I'm just going to lose money? Right. Yeah. So. Come on, y'all. We've been there. So whether it's you're not challenged at work anymore, administration is pissing you off or you just can't stand your partners anymore you know when the writing is on the wall to leave your practice. Now, our sponsor, Provider Solutions and Development, has a team of experts ready to guide you through today's physician job landscape. With over 20 years of experience, they are committed to finding you the right team, the perfect setting, and the work you are meant to do. PSND in-house recruiters are not focused on quotas, and they do not work on commission. That's what I'm talking about. Whether this is your moment to shine, pivot direction, discover something new, or just heck, just be a doc outside the box. Provider Solutions and Development has access to hundreds of opportunities across the country. Reach out today at psdrecruit.com forward slash docs outside the box. And the answer is two words, very simply, index funds. An index fund is just a collection of stocks that mirrors an index of the stock market. And I'll break that down because I know that just sounds like a bunch of garble. The overall stock market, what is it? It's basically all the companies in the US and expanded even more the world put together. And if you invest in the entire stock market, what are you saying? You're saying, like, I believe in the world economy. I believe in the ingenuity of mankind. I believe in the innovation of humankind. And I think that that's going to continue going up. And that's a safe bet. Like, over any 20 year period of the stock market, the overall stock market has always gone up. Even since the coronavirus pandemic, the stock market overall has gone up by a bunch, actually. Like, people just remember the dip, 
but in March, but it's actually gone up a lot. How can you invest in the entire stock market? Well, with index funds, because with the stock market, there's these quote unquote indexes, which are just a collection of stocks meant to mirror basically the whole stock market. So like the S&P 500, that's one people are familiar with. Before I knew anything, I would always hear that and have no idea what it was. It's just a collection of 500 stocks meant to mirror the entire stock market. So you can buy an index fund that mirrors the S&P 500 index. And so basically, you just buy that and you hold on to it for a long time because you're only going to invest money that you're not looking to spend for like, you know, 20, 25, 30 years. And you just hold on to it and you don't care what that index fund, what its value does over the next day or week or month. You just don't care because you know you're going to hold it for 20 years. And you know that over 20 years, it's just going to go up because that's what it's always done. And if it doesn't, it basically means that the world economy collapsed. And the last thing you're going to care about is your portfolio. When you talk about investing, or when I talk about investing, I should say, you know, I'm just talking about investing passively, meaning that you're not tracking the stock market every day. You're not trading stocks. You're just buying an index fund and holding on to it for a long time. That's all you need to do. Yeah, I think that's a really good explanation. And, you know, for me, when I was getting ready to start, I was just like, man, do I buy Panasonic? Do I buy Apple? Yeah, I want to buy Apple or I want to buy Amazon or, you know, and the thing is, is like, well, what if I want to get all of these companies? Or maybe I should get all of these companies as opposed to getting just one of them. Because truth be told, we don't know, you know, what would happen to Tesla or what's going to happen to Tesla, right? So if you put all your money in Tesla and they're doing great, but then all of a sudden, something bad happens or Elon Musk opens his mouth or something like that, you know, (laughs) if he decides to buy back the stock, then, you know, you might be asked out basically. I oftentimes for me, I like the whole concept of index funds because I feel like, you know, even when the whole Apple split, yeah, you're like, man, maybe I should get Apple stock. And then you go and you look at your index fund. You're like, well, I already own Apple, you know, like I already own Amazon. I already own Berkshire. I already own all of these different things. And I don't have to think about it. And every month, you know, I go ahead and do that. So my bad, I'm stealing your thunder, but go ahead. But that's how I look at it, man. Yeah, no, you got it exactly right. I agree completely with your philosophy. And I mean, that's the beauty of it is, and sure, a lot of listeners have heard this, maybe not, but there's a classic study that shows people who try to actively manage their investments, meaning they try to trade on a daily basis or try to quote unquote time the stock market. They do worse than someone who just buys and holds. 80% 80% of the time. And there's no way... What does that mean, time the market? Because some of them are like, what does that mean? Yeah. So that means like if I'm looking and I'm going like, take earlier this week, the coronavirus vaccine, they just announced that that like that may be coming out soon. Oh, I think that's going to make the stock market jump up. You know, people are going to be really excited about that and they're going to be buying a lot of pharmaceutical stocks. So I'm going to try to buy some pharmaceutical stocks right now versus what I did, which was just like nothing and just hold on to the index funds that I had. People that try to predict what's going to happen in the market and alter their portfolio based on that, they do worse 80% of the time than if they just did nothing. And there's no way to tell ahead of time who that 20% that is going to do better is. And if, even if they, did, they were part of that 20% in the past, there's no way to tell that they will be in the future. And if you are paying someone to actively manage your portfolio, you're also paying them to do a worse job 80% of the time. Why not just do it yourself 
and just buy and hold index funds. And you know that you're going to beat 80% of Wall Street out there. And you also don't have to like stress or do anything except once a year, just sort of refigure your account. And there's index funds for like a whole bunch of different things. Like there's index funds for like, if you just want to invest in tech companies, Mm -hmm. there's index funds for if you want to invest in like shopping malls throughout the country or real estate throughout the country in the healthcare field and all that. But the thing that I think about is this was when I was, you know, a little bit earlier, younger is like, how do you know, like how many stocks you should get versus how many bonds? Like, how do you do that equation? And then also like, how do you know who do you buy this stuff from? Which ones do you buy? Because I remember you seeing all the one with the baby. What was the name of that brokerage firm with the baby that was on there? E-Trade. Oh, E-Trade. (laughs) E-Trade. And then you'd see, you know, Vanguard. Then you'd see Schwab. And who do you know? Like, how do you figure all that stuff out? Take us through the next steps. Yeah, it's actually pretty easy. Really quickly, like, you know, we kind of went over stocks. Bonds. Bonds are simply just like IOUs from the government. We'll stick with the government because companies give them out, but you should really just stick with the government. But it's basically just an IOU. And they say like in five years, in seven years, in 10 years, I'll pay you back the money you give me plus a fixed amount of interest. And bonds are generally like more safe or conservative investments. They're low risk, so they're lower return versus stocks are higher risk, so they're higher return. You know, you don't want to have necessarily all stocks because you don't want to be all risk and you don't want to have all bonds because you don't want to be like no risk and no return. So you want some proportion of each. So a really easy way to calculate it to start is whatever your age is, rounded down to the nearest 10. So I'm 33. I would say 30% bonds. That's where I would start. And then you have 30% bonds, 30% stocks. Now, after you make that initial decision, you can kind of sit with it and sleep with it a little bit. And you may say like, like I did, like, well, you know, I'm not planning to need this money for 30, you know, years, even potentially 40 years. So maybe I can take on a little more risk. So that's what I did. And I ended up with 20% bonds, but everyone's different. And you just want to find that point where you feel comfortable and where you're not tempted to sell your investments when there's a downturn in the market, basically. But a safe just starting point, just your age, rounded down to the nearest 10. That's your percentage of bonds. So what you were saying is, for the listeners out there, when you say don't sell when the market is going bad. So back in March and April, when the market was tanking and tanking and tanking, the thought process is, is if you have money in the stock market, you're like, look, man, let me sell my stuff now before it goes to zero. So you're saying that's a mistake. Don't do that. You should just hold on to it. Yeah, because if you just think about it again in simple terms, like how do you make money? You buy low and you sell high, and then the amount of money you make is the difference between those two. So if you're selling when the market's going down, then you're selling low. And you may be even selling lower than when you bought. So then you're losing money. Well, that's bad, obviously. That's what folks in 2008 did. Exactly. So actually, what you want to do is you want to buy when stocks are on sale. That's when the market is down. When the market's down, stocks are on sale. So buy them. It just so happened, not by anything except a stroke of luck, that my sort of financial education started when the market was going down. I bought when people would have said, oh, no, don't buy into the stock market now. But I just said, again, I'm not needing this money for 40 years. I may as well just buy. And I bought a bunch of stocks. And now the market's only gone up since then. Now, I mean, there's certain times where it's gone down for a day or a week or so, but 
over the past six months, just like it will over the next 20 years, it's overall gone up. All right. So next step is, all right, you got me on index funds. Like I'm all about this now. I know about (laughs) stocks. I know about bonds. I know that whatever my age is, I need to include that. And that's going to determine, you know, what my allocation is in terms of stocks and bonds and so forth. How do I pick out, like, give us some examples of some index funds that people should be looking at. So in terms of, again, you were mentioning before brokerages. So brokerages is just the place where you buy your stocks, bonds, your index funds. So I use Vanguard just because that's a very low cost brokerage. And again, you don't want to be paying anyone a lot of costs to manage your money for you because that's just money that's coming out of your pocket and you don't need to do that. So Vanguard's one that they sort of like invented index funds years and years ago. This guy, Jack Bogle, who founded Vanguard. I use them because it's a pretty simple interface and they're kind of like the OGs. So I went with them. And you basically just go there. And if you're, it kind of depends. If you're doing this for like your retirement through work, then it just depends what brokerages they work with. But like, let's pretend you're just opening like a taxable, just a regular brokerage account. You'd basically just go there and sign up and say, I want to start an account. And they just sign you up and then they'd say like, how much money do you want to put in? And you put the amount of money you want to put in from your bank account. And then you have to select. So let's just say you have, I'm just making up a round number, like $10,000. And you're me and you're 33 and you say, okay, I'm 33, I'm rounding down. So that's 30. So I'm going to do 30% bonds, 70% stocks. Really reasonable is you could just go And Vanguard has a total stock market index fund that just owns every stock in the US stock market. So you could just say, I'm going to buy $7,000 worth of that index fund. And that represents your 70% of stocks. And then they also have like a total US bond fund. And you could just say, I'm just going to buy that. And I'm going to buy $3,000 worth of that because that's my 30% bonds. And if you did that, and you just sat on it for like 20, 30 years, you're better off than you know, most people out there investing. It's that simple. I love it. I love it. And this is money that we're talking about probably you don't need from like five years onwards, basically. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like you don't want to like put it, like your emergency fund in this bad boy. No, no. You don't want anything. Or A lot of times I hear people say, even in five years, they say in five years, I want to buy a house. So this is my down payment. Should I put it in like an index fund? And I still say no, because you don't want anything. I look at the horizon as like 15 to 30 years, because you know it could happen again in five years. Could the stock market be up or down? Yeah, it can. But in the overall long-term picture, it's going to be up beyond that. Anything five years or less, and especially if it's something for as important as a down payment on a house, I say just put that in like a savings account, even though that's like not very sexy. You know, beyond that horizon, Definitely, you want to be investing in something with a, a little more return than a savings account, especially now. All right, cool, man. I think we covered that, man. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, of course. I mean, everybody should know that like investing is not just it's not just stocks and bonds. It's not just brokerage accounts. It could be other things. It could be investing in yourself through, you know, making yourself smarter, taking courses or whatever. Yeah. Maybe going after extra degrees, but it could also be real estate, and yeah. that's something that you jumped into recently. Also, tell us about that. Yeah, real estate, I like never thought that I would be into it because it just seemed like stock investing. It seemed like a total black box. How am I going to understand that? I don't know enough. I don't have enough time. And 
I just kept hearing people talk about it as I got more interested in finance. And then I heard doctors talking about it. And I was like, how, how is a doctor going to also be a real estate investor? So I'm here to tell you that you 100% can do it because I went from like six months ago, like literally having no idea about real estate, zero idea. And now I own a cash flowing rental property, a duplex. Where is it at located? It's located in Buffalo. I'm in Buffalo. So yeah, so it's in the city of Buffalo, like a really cool area. And we're looking at, I say we, my wife and I are looking at a second property now. You know, we basically just look for these multifamily properties, like two to four units that cash flow, meaning like we have tenants and we have a mortgage on this property. And every month the tenants give us an amount of money and they pay for the mortgage. They pay for any maintenance, anything, their rent covers all that. And then there's extra money left over every month that just goes directly into our pocket. You know, we have this property and we put down, I think around like $50,000 and it cash flows 17% a year as of now. So, you know, that means we're going to have it for the rest of our life and it's going to every year put 17% of that initial investment in our pocket. But then even beyond that, there's the appreciation of the property, right? So usually when people think of appreciation, they think like, okay, I bought my house now and you know, five years from now, my house is going to be worth X amount just based on the arbitrariness of the market. And that again, that's like totally gambling. No one's able to predict that. But the beautiful thing with investment real estate is your property is not worth what the arbitrary market says it's worth, but it's worth how much money it's putting into your pocket. And without getting too much into it, like there's an equation you can use based on the amount of money it's putting into your pocket to figure out how much the property is worth. Just from us going in and buying this property and tuning it up and renting it out the right way and really maximizing its you know, efficiency, we've increased the value of that property over $100,000. Like If we were to sell the property now, we could sell it for that amount and pocket that money, which is not what we're going to do because we want to hold it on for longer term. Or we can do something like a cash out refinance to get that money out and then use it to invest more in real estate. All that has to say is real estate is a really powerful investment tool. Things I may have said may have sound like complicated or how can I ever understand or do that. But the main point is to say like I went from zero. I can't emphasize enough how zero it was to doing this in six months. and. I can it wasn't even exactly zero. Much. It was negative, man. It was negative. Yeah. Negative. Like I had less than a clue. And <laughs> so if you're interested in that, like easy steps here, buy Rich Dad, Poor Dad and read that book. Buy The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. Read that book. Buy, if you're a physician, Real Estate Physician or The Doctor's Guide to Real Estate Investing for Busy Professionals. That's by Corey Fawcett. Those are the three books I read. And then I took the semi-retired MD course. Oh, you took that course too? I took that course. course I did those four things and I was prepared enough to do it. Now, before I bought the property, I didn't feel prepared enough to do it because you're never going to feel ready enough. But at some point, you kind of have to make that leap. But those are the things I did. And like, again, I'm no like smarter or anything than anyone else. If you guys can do it and you may not follow that exact recipe, but you can and you can do it because I'm proof of that. 
I'm no special or smarter than any of the people listening. I love it, man. Boom. There it is. There it is, man. I love it. I love it. Look, Dr. Jordan Frey, the prudent plastic surgeon, man. This was a really good talk on investing as well as on real estate, man. Welcome to the world of blogging, personal finance. Congratulations, bro. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So much fun. Good. So tell people how they can get in contact with you, how they can follow you, how they can read up on your blogs. Yeah. So my blog is prudentplasticsurgeon.com. So if you just go there, that's my blog. You can also email me anytime. I'm you know, usually really good about getting back to emails. It's just prudentplasticsurgeon at gmail.com. I have a Facebook group. You can just on Facebook, Prudent Plastic Surgeon. My whole thing is I just try to be as genuine and authentic and transparent as I can. You know, if you go on there, you'll find my exact, my actual written financial plan. You'll find actual real stuff about my finances. I just try to keep it as real as possible to show people like you can do this. It does seem overwhelming at first, but just following small steps from the beginning, like I did, and I'm still going on that path. I'm still, my net worth is still negative six figures. So I'm right there with you guys and you know, we can do it together. I love it, man. Thanks for connecting. We'll catch you on the next one, man. Yeah, thanks.